You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you may be already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason, to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Welcome to another episode of the Magna Method Podcast, a podcast that strives to deliver inspiring stories of hard work, perseverance, and a commitment to excellence. Today's guest is Sean Mori. Sean is a wild man, much like the fearless host Mark Magna. Sean and Mark share a very similar journey as well as many of the same experiences. These two take a trip down memory lane to let you in on a few unknown stories about the mythical work ethic it takes to make it as a professional athlete. You can find the Magna Method podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a comment to let us know how the Magna Method podcast has influenced you. All right. So this is serious. I'm very excited. Should I say Sean <laughs> Joseph Mori? You can say whatever you want. I am very excited to have Sean Moray. <laughs> Sean Mori. Yeah, thank on the show. Sean Mori is not only a great, great legendary athlete, but he's also oh, a true God. and dear friend. Sean is a former NFL wide receiver. He played college football at Brown. He was drafted by the New England Patriots in the seventh round of the 1999 draft. That means he's really old, old as dirt. Sean also <laughs> played for the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. Pittsburgh Steelers and Arizona Cardinals. He was fortunate to be on a Super Bowl winning team with the Steelers, and uh, they beat up on the Seattle Seahawks. And Sean was actually a captain of the team. So Sean is someone who I think the world of. He is a world class comedian. He's many things, but he's also a great human being. Thank you for being on the show. On the show, Sean. I'm so excited. I'm so nervous, oh, actually. Get, do I get to interview? Can I get to introduce you now? Yeah, of course. I love that. I love that. Let's go. Um, what, what did I say? What did I say? Mark Magna. Um, uh, one of the hardest working, toughest uh, football players I've ever. I, I can't really say played with or played against or anything like that. It's just a scene. I remember the play specifically, and maybe this. Um, could potentially go on a tangent, which is a. Uh, That's the nature of the business, is, uh, Sean. This is, this is where tangent my, business. Right. Uh, so, do, I don't know. You, I, maybe I'll just ask you. Do you remember the play in the in the um, against Detroit that got us the ball back, so that I could uh, catch a ball across the middle well, on cover two, so that I could get walk down by yet again so that we'd have to kick a field goal <laughs> well, to win a game. Well, we're gonna get to who threw you the ball, but. Let's. Right. Let, I know exactly what the play was. I, oh I'm, my God! You, you. I think you're. Well, you, you, you explain it. I mean, I know we're, we're kind of jumping out our gate here, like we're running a forty. No, you, you, you explain the play because it means nothing if it comes from me. They're not going to believe me anyway. Well, you, you might have to. I, I remember watching from the sideline. Um, you're coming off the ball, kind of three point stance, um, and getting. Uh, essentially getting pancaked and getting up, 
racing down. Someone ear holes you, you spin off, and then you chase the quarterback down and end up getting a sack that they have to go and punt, and we get the ball back. Um, and I remember uh, Coach Belichick showing that play a few you know, days later about like, you know, which where he makes the sort of the effort clips yeah, of plays right. of this is the kind of play that we expect. This is the Patriot way. So this, I'm not sure if those are the words he used, yeah. but that's the, the point he was trying to make. Um, well, let me just stop. But yeah, there, I mean, Sean. no one's going to really believe that anyway. So let's, we're here to talk about, yeah. you. <laughs> we're here to talk about you. But that was a great I'm story. Uh, yeah. No one's going to believe that we're going to have to reduce video evidence, but thank you for saying that. But let's talk about who you received. Well, look, all right, do you remember it? Don't, no, I'm not gonna, I don't accept that. Do you remember that, that play? Well, I, my memory is intact. So yes, I do. It's remember. a sack. So you tell me, you tell the story. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, sort of I, I mean, hyperbolic. You know, the, a lot of the, the, the essence of the moral of the story is you're never out of the fight. Get up off the ground, hustle, hustle, hustle until you die. And that's in essence because Sean knows this very well, and he'll second this. I am the worst athlete in the world, um, but I try real hard. So that's the reason why, I, you know, I, you know, do anything in life or try to be good. You know, um, but Sean, who did you catch that ball from? Uh, Tom Brady. Yeah, that's right. Um, and that was his first. Wasn't that his first like literally completion in the NFL? No, so earlier that preseason, um, so I, w I was a second-year player coming back from NFL Europe, um, and uh, Tom was a rookie, a sixth-round draft pick like yourself, and he um, he was, uh, <laughs> you know, he and I never really, we didn't really get any reps in practice. I mean, he was the fourth quarterback. And yeah, he'd get reps, but if you think about how many reps there are in any given practice during training camp, there's only so many. And there's a lot of reps that the offensive line and the running backs and the tight ends and the first teamers and the second teamers and then the guys that may or may not make the team. Like you have to assess out like which are the players that you can depend on. So, but more importantly, you have to get ready to play a season. And I think that year in particular was Coach Belichick's first year with the Patriots. And I remember us having like two straight weeks of full practice, two a days. Um, but that's beside the point. Um, the, the reality is, I was like the 14th receiver <laughs> in practice, and he was the that's fourth not quarterback. True at so all. we didn't get a lot of reps of practice. And so after practice, for me to get my conditioning up and get my catches in, I would we would go up and back twice doing a two-minute drill. So I was catching 20 or more passes from Tom, whether it's a shallow cross or a quick out or a flag or a deep crosser or or a cover two bender or, a, you know, a seam read versus cover two where you kind of – you 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 let the ball shape you in towards the middle of the field on cover two. And, and against Detroit in that uh, preseason game, we identified that – so the safeties were widening in their cover two coverage. And I mentioned it to Coach Fears and Tom – you know, threw a dart on the next play, and I, got, I ran for my life, but got tackled on the 15, and then Venetieri kicked the game winner. So, but that wasn't the first pass that Tom threw. Tom threw a pass to me in uh, the Hall of Fame game that season. We had five preseason games, and the first one was in Canton at the Hall of Fame I game remember. versus the uh, Niners. Yeah. 
Interesting story. I was standing on the sidelines and one of the Hall of, well, all the Hall of Fame inductees were on the sidelines and um, he happened to look over me during the, uh, right after the national anthem and he looked me right in the eyes and it was Howie Long. And, oh, I, wow. and I said, hey. <laughs> he said, and then he looks at me and he goes, what's up? And he said, good luck. And I went, thanks. And I was thinking, I can't tell you how many times I watched Howie Long on in videos and king size hits of the NFL, crunch course, uh, big time hits. And he was like my right. hero because he was like, you know, a Northeast guy, went to Villanova, small school, caveman. And I was thinking, well, Howie Long is standing right next to me. It was incredible. It was a very That's interesting amazing. moment. And, and Sean and I took a picture after that Detroit game. And I still have the picture. Remember that picture, Sean? Yeah. Yeah, I get the same one. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a really special picture. Hey, what, you know what's yeah. crazy? I, I, I'm surprised we never talked about this because I'm not sure of how if you would identify, um, or you would, you know, say how long is like your hero, at least from you know a childhood perspective, looking at growing up watching ball. But like for me, there's no doubt. It's undoubtedly Jerry Rice. There's just there's no question. And he played. He played the Niners. And after the game, um, I was just—I I didn't even realize he was coming up to me until I sort of picked my head up. And he and he put his hand out and shook my hand and said, "Hey, good job. I see what you're trying to do, and good luck. Keep keep working hard. You'll get there." And I just—I like my jaw dropped, and he just moved on. And I was like, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, that's incredible. That's a special moment." But 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 those guys. You know, hard work recognizes hard work and appreciates it, certainly celebrates it and wants to see people like that. When you're the best of the best and you're a good human and you're you, you're good at what you do, you want to see others rise up. And I think that's going to be a powerful part of this podcast. Like they want to see other people do well. And he recognized mm -hmm. that. And it wouldn't take long to if you watch Sean Morey to see that you want him to succeed because he's a relentless worker. He's a great human being. But. You know, you're talking about a, a kid from southeastern Massachusetts who didn't come from a powerhouse football program. I certainly didn't either. And But he worked his butt off and excelled, went to Brown, was like the all-time leading receiver at Brown until it was broken by someone else. But he was a legendary receiver there and was highly productive. And then he went to play in the Hula Bowl and then he got drafted by the Patriots, the hometown team. And then he bounced around the NFL, was a captain of a Super Bowl team. I mean, this guy could tell you stories, but he's one of the most fierce competitors I've ever met. And he's he's a great, great, great human being. So let's, Sean, let's start off, like, let, tell us about, you know, your upbringing and then and how you transitioned and ended up inevitably choosing football. Well, I I'll say I really appreciate you, you the kind words, um, and I'm not trying to be you know self um, <laughs> deprecating, but uh, the, you know the truth is you know it's interesting how everyone looks at their own career, and you know you can look at it and frame life or your own career or your accomplishments or even your shortcomings, and it, and the way you frame it is really your own personal perspective, and for me. I, I it's funny I, I i sort of chuckle and i and i can appreciate where you're coming from and 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 i understand how when people 
you know, um, you know, you know, sort of you have this unearned respect of, of strangers that don't quite know what, what you did or just the fact that you played in the NFL and they think, wow, you're only five foot ten. You must have really been good. It's like, no, I was just I worked really hard and I, you know, I, 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 I was a, I was a good teammate. I played hard. I practiced hard. Uh, I never let it be something I didn't do that caused me to fail. And in my mind, my perspective, you know, I had 11 catches in 10 years. That wasn't exactly Steve Largent or <laughs> Wayne Trebet or even Jerry Rice. No, no. I, but you had but, an each. You had an each. You, you had I, something yeah, you did very I, I, well. So, so to answer your question, like you, you said, um, do you want me to start with my upbringing? Um, you know, my father was uh, was a lobsterman. He passed away in 2019. So and sorry. Was uh, thank you. It's great. Great, great man. You know, by the a, way, every time I met him, he was such a, a, a good person and you know, a mm -hmm. very dry sense of humor. But 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 nice, great to me. Made me laugh and uh, made people feel good. About about who they are, but you could tell why Sean's such a good person. His father was a great human being. Yeah, and, and, and I think what my, my dad did was was he, he connected with people with his sense of humor and his um, and his humility. He played he played football for a long time and, and was regarded as a very good um, receiver and, and semi pro football and you know in the Northeast and had opportunities to maybe try out and play for the I think at the time they were like the Rhode Island steamrollers or, or, or and, uh, Providence steamrollers and and he ended up getting drafted and uh, and we started a family and, and my mother is a emergency room nurse and was uh, the head of the ER at Brockton Hospital for I think maybe around 15 years she's um, she's still living in Mass and doing really well and uh, you know I've got a twin sister and two older brothers and um, my my sister was the, you know the best athlete, actually voted the best athlete in our high school, and I was always a kid that was sort of undersized and skinny, and I was a good soccer player. But when I decided to finally transition to football, because my my closest friend in high school, Jim Kelly, asked me to, uh, you know, I would I would sort of run around on the, uh, you know, um, you know, we'd play pickup football, and, and nobody could catch me, so he, he talked me into playing, and. Uh, my my first year in eighth grade, I I never touched the field. I I remember I, I was on the field. I was literally on the field for two plays my entire eighth grade season. And one I I took a uh, a toss and made one person miss with a like a sort of a dead leg move that my dad showed me, which is somewhat kind of hysterical as I think about it. And and I got like 15 yards, but didn't score. And then the other play, it was a night game. They, they kicked the ball, it skipped off the wet grass, hit my shin, and that bounced back, and the other team recovered it, and that was it. So I was like, maybe football's not my deal, and I went back and played soccer. Um, and then I was just really frustrated that I that I quit something that I could have been good at, and I decided that I'm going to go back, and I'm going to be really good. And so I, when I went back, I worked I practiced hard. I ran hard. I, I had I had great coaches. Um, really, some of the some of the best mentors um, in the senior class, um, Sean Griffith, and you know, other 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 just amazing um, people and players and coaches. And I, I was really fortunate. Um, and uh, you know, but I learned and I got better and we competed in practice and and ultimately I. Uh, I did improve, and 
um, then when I, I was either going to go to Northeastern to accept a partial scholarship or my close friend Jim Kelly was going to Hebron Academy to do a PG or so, I, I decided to go there for essentially the same amount. It would cost us, our family the same amount of money. And there, so Dave Gagnon and Moose Curtis and uh, all these just amazing coaches that primarily like they had a bunch of PGs and they had one hadn't won a game in three years and, and uh, with a lot of hockey players and other athletes we, we ended up winning the <laughs> it's a class D prep school championship we were undefeated and and um, and then I was recruited by some 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 schools and the intent was to try to go to an Ivy League school so I went to all my teachers and begged them I said like listen I'll do whatever I need to do just tell me what I have to do to get an A in your class so I I did all the extra work and I, I performed in the classroom and um, had, had opened some doors that would would have otherwise not been there because I was somewhat of a knucklehead in high school and a class clown. And uh, and then, but, you know, I was started training. I started lifting with uh, Saul Shockett and Brad Herman. They owned a gym called All Sports. And I started doing that through high school. And then in the off season um, before and in the summer times, um, between Brown as well as the strength coach from Brown, Roger Marandino. And then um, later on, when I, we, we, when you and I were both uh, drafted and made our way to the Patriots, you know, our speed coach, Mike Morris. I mean, I, I, I would say if I had to talk about, and I know that I've, I haven't really stopped talking, but if I had to summarize, it's probably not, um, it's probably not, no, not very dissimilar than any of the other athletes or people you've had on your your show and, and talk to about like tell us about your background tell us about you know why you've maybe experienced some success and it's it's really it's it's a it's it's the collective efforts of a group of highly um highly trained and and well-intended people that contributed to my development and that these are coaches these are athletes teammates and other people that were investing in me, and I was just the beneficiary of, of like, and this is not this is not like false humility. This is like people are made by other people, and you and I both know when we start getting into this. I know we're going to talk about the Taunton YMCA, and you know, oh, yeah. iron sharpens oh, yeah. iron, oh, yeah. and trying to compete with Mark Magna at five or six a.m. Oh, bro. And a Tom, no, you know, you know, you can say whatever you want to say, but I know you're full of it. If you think that I'm going to let you off the hook by <laughs> pretending like you weren't like an absolute monster, and uh, you know, you showed me, you taught me, you know, you know how how do people know like what they're capable of? Like it's really it's really kind of a, like this anomaly. It's, it fascinates me. Like how do you actually figure out how much you're able, your body is able to do? And I think that some of the first times I, I started to really, I mean, I did a lot in college and I trained really hard in high school and I, I did more than any other teammate. I, I can say that pretty confidently, but I have never worked harder than I had when I had to compete with you. Well, likewise, Sean, likewise, likewise. Very, very, the most grueling, brutal. By the way, we'll, well, let me cover this first. So why don't we... Well, let's get into that in a second. But Sean and yeah. I yeah, like, know I'll each other. Well, yeah, no, Sean, <laughs> Sean and I, I had no idea who Sean was, but we did play. I knew he was a very good player. Um, I didn't know him personally, but I know he was a very good player uh, from Marshfield High School. Um, 
Durfee, my high school, played against them. Um, you know, oh, my Chris ju- my ju- yeah. schooled me. <laughs> my ju- I had to cover him in defense, <laughs> and he just he made me look like a, a five year old. <laughs> he made everyone look like a five year old. Chris right. was an outstanding basketball player for my high school, who was yeah. ahead of his time, and uh, he has an interesting story as well. But we played against each other in football, and. Sean was very fast, and I think my junior year, yeah, my junior year, no, our sophomore year we played them. We didn't play them as juniors. We played a sophomore year, and I actually got my, like, first official sack, like like a great one, and then the game was over. However, they were going to line up and kick a field goal. Well, the kid hit, like, a 50-yard field goal. I couldn't believe he hit it in the rain. And they beat us. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then our senior year, Sean, um, he caught a unbelievable pass down the sidelines for a score. And then at the beginning of the second half, he did the same thing. And I was thinking, geez, like, it's like no one's even out there, like, guarding this guy or, you know, D'ing him up. We yeah. ended up winning that game. I don't know how because Sean probably had 300 yards of receiving. But the – No, it was a punt return. Was it, was it a, was it a punt return yeah. or a kickoff? It was the punt return. You're, no, no, no a punt you – return. And then a kickoff return. No, no, it was, it was, a, it was a catch and then a, a punt return. But the punt All return, I know is that I remember you twice. the first one down because I have a picture of you somewhere. <laughs> oh, somewhere they, oh, you're saying that and you ran by me. You ran what by me. Did is you that what you're school? saying? You're leading into? I didn't run by you. I just, uh, I, I oh, thankfully, boy. thank God I avoided being decapitated. No, no, by no. What we're going to do is we're going to make sure that this whole thing gets chopped out because I don't want to look that bad, right? So we're going to cut this whole thing. That's how this works, Sean. You know that. Okay. Right. So all anyway, right, right. he. The point is, Sean. They goes, didn't call a penalty. You you were blocked in the back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Sean goes to prep school. Goes to Brown. Has an outstanding career. We both find ourselves in the Patriots, and uh, I, I met Sean at the Hula Bowl. We played in the Hula Bowl together, and we had a blast. I was so excited because I knew someone there, and we clicked. We had a lot of the similar blue collar black background from Massachusetts. And then we're on the Patriots. We needed to find an edge to improve and hold our own. And that edge was Mike Morris. And Sean's going to explain who Mike Morris is and what those workouts entailed. Oh, oh, oh. Mike is, um, you know, one of the, you know, the four brothers, uh, Jamie and Joe Morris. Um, and I, 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 I apologize. I, I don't know his. Brother, but they were actually um, they ran at Syracuse as a uh, as a four by one hundred. These guys were like some of the fastest people on the planet during the time. And Mike was a speed coach for the Patriots. And when we when I was drafted there, I got to work with them. And then when you um, were uh, signed by the Pats, we worked with them during the season. Then in the off season, and especially. And uh, the year or two after that, when you and I had been released, uh, or at least I, I'm not, I think it was, it was either the off season or like getting ready for NFL Europe. But I, I know that I was, I, I was, I did not have a job and we were throwing with Mark Hartzell and we were oh, um, yeah. working right. out and Mike was helping us train. And 
uh, and obviously uh, and uh, Kerry Carter would join us sometimes. But typically, it was you and I that you'd get there at five, like you. I'm sure your car was running from like five, you know, four forty-five to five thirty until when I was supposed to be there. And I'm always getting there the second before we're supposed to start and huffing it in there and changing my sneakers and you know running through the snow and you're just rolling your eyes like oh my god can you just be lombardi time buddy <laughs> and <laughs> and mike just a good guy easy going but you know and um you know mike's smile was just light up a room right and his sense of humor but he just like the amount of information and expertise and training people was like unparalleled something i've never i'd never seen and i still have never come across but like 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 ankle stability and jumping and donkey kicks and you know all this all the cossacks and duck walks and spider-mans and oh my goodness i mean it would burn our legs it would you know and then we do these like it was almost like spirit training forget forget about like you know speed training we were we were essentially it was like uh, American Flyer you ever see that movie American Flyer we was on the, on the treadmill you give yeah. away your age man even like, like no one's gonna even know what you're talking. I know exactly what you're hey, talking about, but the, I don't the, even the, care. Go our, rent the go our rent audience the doesn't. They, they, Blockbuster in they, Alaska. They have no whatever. access to VHS tape, Sean. I I refuse to believe that. <laughs> There's a way, uh, but anyway, like it, it was it would it was a um, it was a test of, uh, of it, it was it was what we needed. It was. Um, he kicked our butts, and uh, and for me, I, I took those, those training, that training, with me throughout my entire career. There wasn't a week that went by during the regular season or off season, and leading up to training camp that I wasn't like devotedly, um, I'm sorry, devotedly um, adhering to like, like I, I would use those workouts and those exercises to supplement all my training all my lifting before um and so and on the days off like like all this fast beat and and stuff um it, it helped me it, it I, I would go as far to say that if i hadn't met mike morris my 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 career would have Certainly, would would I wouldn't have had the multiple chances to come back and play and compete at the level that I did, and I probably wouldn't have made it in the NFL. Well, that's saying a lot, right? I mean, I, I know that between Sean Morey, Kerry Taylor, who was a All American tight end from the University of Massachusetts, right. who was also on the Patriots, you know, um, Sean. Right, Kerry. Oh my gosh, but Kerry Carter was yeah. a running back from Toronto. That oh, was that's right. Our, he was right. with our. Uh, football camp up there I mean, yeah go ahead no Carry but um, they were very very challenging workouts and the, the thing I'll tell you is you didn't see a lot of guys doing that now you see a lot of it but you didn't see a lot of that um, at the time and in part in part because some guys are so beat up they didn't want to go through that. they wanted to rest their bodies the other thing was like a lot of people didn't want to put that type of work in. And those were absolute brutal sessions that we would invite people in. You'd never see them again. Like no one wanted to put <laughs> themselves through that. And I can, I can name names. Like, you know, yep. it was super challenging and I was fried. And when you get done with that, you're not exactly, you know, at times we would do some lifting either before or after, but your day was shot. But um, di didn't it make football seem easy? 
Well, that's just it. You know, like I think that um, like knowing that it was um, it was so, so challenging when you got out on the football field, you felt light, you were flying around. And there's a certain anyone who's ever played football knows that you could condition all day in a track. But once you put those pads on, things change. And when we mm-hmm. put the pads on, we were so well conditioned that we were able to focus on the actual techniques the scheming, or Sean's routes, the defensive scheme for myself, whatever it was. And that was a huge advantage. Huge advantage. Mm-hmm. So, I agree. So, you can't so, play the game tired. No, no, no. You can't. So, Sean, we leave. You, 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 you're there. Uh, let, let's talk about the story with the Patriots. Um, you know, your, your departure from the Patriots, what you, you were doing in between, and the story about how you got picked up. And it's just one of the best stories ever. Um, so please. Oh, God. Uh, I feel like you're cueing me on something. And there's, I mean, how many, how many, I was cut like, eight, I was cut eight times over about five years. I went to NFL Europe twice as a receiver, once as a corner. And then a third time I went, um, because uh, I, I had been cut from the Eagles, and it was up in, in this. And I'm gonna I'm gonna come back in a second to talk about the Patriots. But at this time, um, you know, I, we're in. I'm in Montreal, uh, and um, you know, running my dog up and down Montreal, watching you play for the Alouette, Montreal Alouette. Oh yeah, that's and, right. And can I say that right? Montreal Alouette's close enough. Come on, you can say it in French. <laughs> it will be here all day. I'll feel miserably. <laughs> all right. So, um, and so the, the Damian Douglas, the, the the special teams wide receiver for the Eagles, was released. He went. He or he wasn't released. He signed a free agent contract with Kansas City. And I was about to go to Los Angeles to play for the Avengers. Um, um, uh, oh, what's his word? Greg? Oh, I'm forgetting his name, but I'm. What a just an awesome dude! I was going to room with this um, Greg Hopkins, a great player for the Avengers in Arena Football, one of the best in the league. And um, you know, I was I was figured, you know what? I'm just going to go out and play football and enjoy the rest of my career. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to make it the NFL. Or and I couldn't convince Jim Pop to sign me for the Alouette. So I'm like, I'm just going to go play. But when Damian signed with Kansas City, I figured you know what, maybe it's a chance that there's an opening. So I called Scott Cohen from the, the Eagles and, and essentially begged him to send me back to NFL Europe for a third time. And that was the year that I ended up making it in 2003 and playing essentially like 33 games straight, played in NFL Europe and then the preseason and then the regular season and then three games in the playoffs. We lost against Carolina and they went on to play <laughs> the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Um, but before that, um, when I was released from the Patriots, before I went to the Eagles, I was, um, I think it was 2001. That was Coach Belichick's second season, if I'm correct. Yes. And um, so the fir- the first year he, he you know, I, I, I didn't make the team that was cut, but I was brought back and put on the practice squad. And then, um, um, and uh and then I, I, I ended up. I was going to be. I was going to start against Monday, against uh, a Monday night game against Kansas City. And right before, and he's, we weren't going to do the roster moves until the Friday. And, and but I had known all week. I've been practicing. I was going to be the, um, 
Uh, oh, actually, you know what? I just messed up. Can I back up here? I know that we'll have to. You don't have to edit it, but so the it was in 2000 that I was released from the Patriots, and I decided, um, I decided that I wasn't going to get a real job yet. Yeah. Uh, so I decided John. to. Yes. And, and, I, <laughs> so and I, decided I think I try to tell him he needs a job. He's like, but you told me I can't get a job. Do you remember why you told me you couldn't get a job? And as soon as you told me that, it made perfect sense. But do you remember well, why you told to, me? I wanted to train. Well, he said he wanted to train, but he also said, once I get a real job, Mark, that means oh, yeah. I've, I've given, given up. up. And if Absolutely. I if I get a real job, I just can't give up because I know I have a lot left in me. And everyone and their mother was telling Sean, you got to grow up, give it up, and get a real job. I mean, everyone was telling him that, okay? So mm-hmm. he refused to do that. And Sean, please. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Sorry. I, uh, you know what? There's so many, um, there are a lot of uh, side parts of the story. Sort of the, tra- the trajectory of my career because there's highs and lows and there's a lot of rabbit holes, but I'll, I'll digress and. We'll go back to 2000, and so I'm, I'm cut from the Patriots, and I'm delivering furniture for Muldoon's trucking, and I'm driving back and forth. There's a truck that we leave at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday to go into New York City. We pick up our stuff somewhere in Jersey, we deliver the furniture, you know, some big ass desks and whatnot in the in the city. Driving in the city, then we're heading back to Connecticut in traffic, and I get a call, and it's sort of late in the season, and the Patriots want to sign me because they have an injury and they want to resign me. And, uh, and I said, that's great. And I've been training, obviously I've been training with you and, uh, with, uh, with coach Morris. And then uh, about 20 minutes after that, like, well, they're going to sign me. So 20 minutes later, they get, I get another call and they ask if I'm, if I'm in shape and all this other, like they seem re- very reticent. So, um, I said, no, of course, this is what I've been doing. I've been training. I've been going with Mark Hartzell. I've been training with Mike Morris. By the way, Mark uh, Hartzell was a, I'm sorry to interrupt, Sean. Mark Hartzell was no, no a big-time uh, Brockton quarterback from a legendary superpower football program at high school. He played at Boston College, and he mm-hmm. also started games for the Chicago Bears. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, and, the, and Patriots. And uh, I thought, but um, so... I'm, I'm driving back and they, they call a second time and they're, they're sort of, they're, they're, they have this they're sort of a suspicious tone. And I, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm the best shape of my life. All I've been doing is training. I'm healthy and I'm ready to play. So, um, and then they say, okay, great, great, great. So then they call back in like another half an hour and say, you know what, we're just going to sit tight right now and um, we'll get in touch with your agent we'll, and uh, we'll call you um you know, in a day or two, maybe after, maybe after the weekend. And so I'm driving back up and I'm, I'm, I'm not like upset or anything. I'm just sort of confused. And, uh, and I'm thinking that maybe this had something to do with the way that I ended my time with, uh, <laughs> with the Patriots. And, you know, this is what they call a CLM, a career limiting move. And if I had the opportunity, maybe I should someday apologize for, to Scott Pioli, but they, he, they sent me to NFL Europe for the second time as a defensive back. And, and obviously you remember because I, we played against each other in the World Bowl where Berlin beat us. And I was playing defensive back and the smart ass quarterback said the road to this, you know, World Bowl goes through 24 because I'm <laughs> a receiver playing corner. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I made sure like he didn't complete any passes on me. 
Yeah. Um, I was played a good game, but regardless, hats <laughs> off to you guys. You played a great game. Um, uh, so, so I'm driving back on I-95. Oh, let me tell you the story. So when I got released from the Patriots um, that year, when I came back from NFL Europe, Scott Peeler, the general manager who had essentially allocated me to NFL Europe to play defensive back for Coach Belichick to be the you know seventh defensive back and fifth or sixth wide receiver on a roster to save roster spots and then go play special teams and be able to go back up both ways. Um, he he had told the coach that um, he told me before I left that I could play both offense and defense. But the coach told me when I got there that they told me that, no, I'm not allowed to play offense. I'm only allowed to play defense. And so I felt like he didn't tell the truth. And so when I went in to co- speak with Coach Belichick when I was released, Coach Belichick went in first. I went in second, and Mr. Pioli was behind me, and I grabbed the other side of the uh, – the doorknob and pulled it shut while he was trying to pull the door open to come in. I closed it on him. So I think that sort of, that was my career, career limiting move. <laughs> so so wait, 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 So you shut Scott the door Pioli in coach Belichick's face. No. And, and Scott Pioli's I was, he was uh, coming in. The both of them were going to talk to me and I didn't respect the fact that I felt like I was lied to and misled. Understood. But and I thought, yeah. Because when I got back to training camp, I spent like a day on defense, and then I was back as a receiver. And um, yeah, so let me. Uh, I digress. Uh, the point is, I'm driving back on 95, realizing like, all right, so Scott Pioli really doesn't want me here because I really insulted him, and I shouldn't have done that. But I was uh, a little bit of a hothead. Um, you know, when you get cut, you're not necessarily always that rational, and I was pissed off. So, um, so I, I ended up pulling in like it's not an 18 wheeler, but this is a pretty big ass truck, and I pull it in and I park it in front. And the guy in the front of the um, in the front of the parking lot, whoa, whoa, you can't park this in, get out of here! <laughs> and I hop out of the truck in a Muldoon's uh, moving T-shirt, and he's like, Sean, what the hell, are you, what are you doing? I said, well, Coach Belichick's called. Maybe there's a chance they might sign me, and I just need, I need to have a conversation with them before I. I was just I was just driving by, and uh, so he. <laughs> so I, is, I mean, it looks ridiculous. So I get can't this, make like, any of this up. I can't. I get this like moving T-shirt on and Muldoon's trucking, and anyway, the guys in the truck are laughing like, "Oh my God, Sean, what are you doing? This is you should not be here. Like, just call the guy." And so they, they they sort of phoned in from the booth to Coach Belichick, and they told me to go in, and I sat down with Coach Belichick, and he said, it tells me a lot. I really respect you. I respect the hell out of you. It tells me a lot that you're here and that you're ready to play, but we're going to hold off this weekend. And I think they ended up, after the weekend, they signed David Gibbons. That's um, right. And they went right. on to win the Super Bowl. That's right. That's right. Um, Coach Belichick's um, a legit guy like that. I mean, I mean, when when I was actually released from the Jets, he actually, everyone was kind of cut and sent out the door. He actually had a conversation with me, and I really appreciated it. It was really, uh, it served me for the rest of my career, which was very short. But he was um, very stand up guy, and it was um, absolutely really appreciated. People don't know that they think just because he's curt or standoffish with the media, that's what he does. That's not really who he is. Right. And I, th- I think it's also, it'd be fair to say, to go a step further to say, you know, 
of course, like at that point, you need to be at arm's length to be non-emotional. You have to be. Um, you have about, to be. about making roster decisions on your team. But in the end, if it's really in the best interest of the team, then he has the he he, he retains his his um, you know his morality. He retains his his uh, his position in terms of he's making the best decision for the team in the long run and um, to win games and to do the job that he's asked to do. So if he's exactly. doing the job that, exactly. that he's been hired to do, how can you fault him? And he doesn't just, he doesn't owe you an explanation, but he oftentimes gives you feedback that helps. Yeah. I, I respected that. Right. And I think that's why, you know, in the world we live in today, it's so challenging because everyone wants an explanation. They want to explain why. It's like, look, if they, if you can't, serve the team and you're not adding great value they just escort you to the door I mean that's kind of the use the world we live in I'm not saying that that's okay and, and the world has changed significantly but that's the, really the world in pro football even today right mm -hmm. um, I agree I, I've always think, thought of it as like a, a Darwinian meritocracy like, there's no there, there's no room for um, for anybody that isn't uh, contributing and adding value mm -hmm. and if someone else can add more value then you know that's on you to have to have adapted or developed have been self-aware enough to, to make sure that you're working on what you need to do so you don't get replaced right I mean it's very very uh, it's ultra cutthroat it is what it is I mean people mm -hmm. and I and as I explain to people well, we have a, our team at anatomy we have a wonderful organization uh, many extremely valuable team members and contributors. I say, you know, think about showing up to your job every day knowing that you might be sent home and you can never go back ever. How do you feel about that? Well, <laughs> additionally, the only thing you've ever wanted to do since <laughs> you were 12 right. is the, and the way that you identify yourself worth is sort of tied to that profession, which you end up learning as you transition. Right, right. But like, it, it wasn't anything that, it wasn't who I was. It was just, you know, obviously people understand and they realize at some point, oh, that's just what I did and I did it really well and I worked really hard and that's why I was successful, but that's mm -hmm. not who I was. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, um, so, you know, Sean, you leave, you are, you don't get signed by the Patriots, then what happens? So I'm not signed by the Patriots, but at, at that point in time, um, I had been uh, Giants, right? So, well, no, not the Giants. So I, I go and I do a. Um, I'm trying to think of the years, and I think I think the following year, uh, or, or that particular year, I'm uh, I, I do a workout for the Eagles, and then if it's not that year, it's the following year. But let me ask Rod you a question. Smart. Let me ask you a question. You, I thought you signed a contract with the Giants, but then they actually tore it up because the Eagles were going to put you on the active roster. Um, no, I was. I had a workout with the Giants at one point. Um, I was supposed to go and, and um, work out for the Giants and Dave Gettleman, but that's that. That was literally. Um, um, right before 9-11. That was the Monday. On the, I was supposed to work out on the Tuesday before the Monday. It was 9-11. And so I knit, but that was the only talks I've had with the Giants. I think maybe what you're thinking of is the LA Avengers. And I, I ended up tearing up the, the, the 
I didn't report to training camp for the Avengers, and I went to NFL Europe for the Eagles for the third time, came in and finally made a team. But just before that, I think really around the time that I was trying to get um, to sign with the Patriots with this uh, Muldoon's trucking thing, I worked out later that uh, a month later for the Eagles. And then during the playoffs, when Rod Smart was injured, um, he, you remember he hate me from the XFL? Rod of course, Smart. of course. He's a great running back. And um, he was a special teams guy. He, he's amazing. Um, and I had a really good workout for the Eagles, and they signed me, and I played against, uh, what was it, Tampa Bay, Chicago, and then we lost to St. Louis, and St. Louis went on to play the Patriots. <laughs> that was, you know, the year before. Right. I went to, um, yeah, yeah. So that was when we lost to the, um, we lost to the, uh, to the Rams. The Rams go on to play the Patriots. That's their first Super Bowl win. That summer, I stayed with the Eagles, get cut, go up to NFL, to go up to Montreal with you, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, with Kara. And while Kara is, um, Carrie Sean's wife, by the way. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's the thing. I, I come back and then, um, so we play. So 2003 is when I play those. Uh, so I, I just played three games for the, for the Eagles. Then I go to Canada and then I go back to NFL Europe for the third time. Then I play for the Eagles the entire season. And then, so the following season, essentially I'm playing because I'm up there in 2002 not playing any football. So 2002, I was basically, I was, I was out of football. That, I do not get credit for that season. I was, but I was the Alouette super fan. And so to, 2003, I play and we lose to Carolina and Carolina goes on to play who? The Patriots. So like in two years in a row, I am up, or two, you know, um, Super Bowls, um, we just miss. And then I go to, um, uh, and then, and then next training camp, I'm released. And when I'm released, Miami Dolphins had a uh, signed me off waiver. So I, I was packing in New Jersey to go down to Miami and play for the Dolphins. But then the uh, the Steelers picked up um, my contract, and because they had a six and ten record, I went to the Steelers instead, and ended up playing for um, Bill Cower and uh, special teams coach Kevin Spencer for three years for the Steelers. That's when we were able to win uh, Super Bowl my second year there against the Seahawks. And um, and, and Ken Wisenhunt, who was the offensive coordinator. And Sean was a captain of that team, special teams captain. Right. But there, I mean, like, I, there were so many great special teams players. I was a captain for the, the second year and third year, but we had so many guys. I mean, we had Brett Keys, we had James Harrison, Chidi Walma. Clint Crewald. Clint Crewald was one of the best special teams players I've ever played with. And um, we had just a, an amazing team. Like you, you talk about a culture of, of players where everybody is singularly focused on one aim. And that's simply, you know, not, not just to win, but like on each other, like helping each other win games. Like we would even help coach each other in practice. Like you're competing and then you're talking and compete and, and coaching each other, like it was, it was, it was just a, a type of dynamic that like everybody was solely invested in helping each other get better. Coaches, mm -hmm. players, owners. 
it was really a special place. Right. Um, Would you say, Sean, that was the best culture that you've ever been a part of? No doubt. Yeah. And and, and maybe it, maybe and maybe it started with like guys like Joey Porter and Jerome Bettis and Heinz oh, yeah. Ward. I mean, I could go on. I mean, everybody there. You can almost name the entire team and say, "Oh yeah, yeah, definitely." Like they were just. And I, I don't know if it's a, if it's a testament to, to Bill Cower or really honestly, not just Bill Cower but Dick LeBeau, and Russ Grimm. I mean, you know, Alan Stanica, Troy Palomalu. All these people like played and loved. The, they played for each other because, it was it was one of the best cultures. Yeah, it was a, it was a team, it was a great team atmosphere, and a lot of that stemmed from sort of the mom and pop type feel mm. like the close knit family sense that you got from, from the Roonies because it was, it was in, you know, sort of a small town in Pittsburgh that it's a, it's a city of course, but it, it's sort of contained from the outside. You know, it, it feels like people from Pittsburgh are, right. you know, are, are devotely, you know, Pittsburghers. You know, um, I'll tell you, Dick LeBeau is a special man. I got to play for him in Cincinnati. He was a great, great, great man, a great coach, mm-hmm. great person, super smart, like way ahead of his time. Like, and he, I think he coached in the NFL for 50-some-plus years. He was coaching a coordinator mm-hmm. at 70-plus years, like maybe 73. Yeah, I think he played for 14 or something yeah. like that he, before he, he coached he, too. He is a tough son of a gun, man. Oof, you know, very when tough. I, I'm sorry to interrupt no, you, but I, I don't want to forget myself, but I, I can honestly say that the way that I practice, of course, like you want to get better and you want to make an impression and have a build-in opportunity to play more. Of course I wanted to play more, but like I felt like the effort that I gave on scout team was sort of the way that I could communicate my respect and appreciation for what, for the type of person he is and the way he coaches. Mm-hmm. And um, so, like, the only really way I could communicate that is through because I knew that that guy was watching practice. He watched every rep. Of practice. Oh yeah. And if he sees me hauling ass, and he sees me working hard and making guys better and competing, then he's gonna realize that I'm, you know, I'm one worth of those it. guys. Worth it. Yeah, yeah. It's worth it. Yeah, but, for sure. For sure. So. Uh, after football um, with the Steelers, you go to Arizona, correct? Right. I was. Uh, I, I finally became. A, I was a, became a free agent, and um, I decided to go to uh, Arizona with Ken Wisenhunt and um, Kevin Spencer, who's my special teams coach. And Russ Grimm was going as well. And and honestly, I I, I remember, um, you know, um, it was it was it wasn't an easy decision. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I felt like I rationally, I, I, I believed that, you know, with, with a, a being, becoming a new, co- I mean, maybe this is somewhat transactional, mm-hmm. um, but there, there's a number of things that you have to consider when you're a free agent. Like number one is like the career longevity. And, and I realized that if I stayed in Pittsburgh, with a new coaching staff, like there's a chance that they have their own guys and they don't, they don't think I'm as valuable. And I realized that if I stayed in Pittsburgh as well, I, I would, if I played however many years I played, I would look back and I'd think like everything was 
to sort of blend together. I wouldn't be able to sift out which year, but I thought like obviously Arizona would be a new experience for myself and my family. But also, um, uh, you know, if a new coach is bringing players in, um, it's really hard. And, and I, you know what, I mean, like, like there's a transactional way that I almost like cringe when I think about it. And I think, well, you can't really get cut the first year they bring you in. If they're going to sign you as a free agent and they like, so at least I'm going to get one year right. in Arizona. So that's sort of a calculus of it. But on top of that, which is very genuine, is I really deeply loved and respected my special teams coach. Mm-hmm. And I felt like there is a, a, a sense of loyalty. And I, I, when I played, I played, I played for him. And I knew that there was like, if anything was ever going to happen, at least that would, he would be honest with me. Right. And right, right. Um, that's sometimes that's all you can ask for. And uh, and Coach Wisenhunt was great. Like I wasn't a very good receiver, but when I when I played, if something happened where I I chipped on a route or came out of a break and didn't look fast enough, and Ben had like thrown a ball and it came bounced off my face mask or something in practice, like he would laugh and he'd run it back in practice and practice and, and film and like he helped me not take myself too seriously. So I actually played a lot better for Coach Wisenhunt because of his demeanor. Right. And I felt like his, I really liked his, his offense and I was, I knew his offense and I could, I could really be plugged into any position and not miss a beat. I feel like what you so just said, was, what you just said, Sean, it speaks volumes. Like you, you look in the NFL, there's pressure everywhere. There's, there's pressure for days. There's no shortage of pressure, but they know that, right? Like if you can have guys that take their work seriously but they don't take themselves too seriously and they can uh it's not like just hey have fun because it's a business but you know he took some pressure off your shoulders and you paid that back tenfold because you played better that's a big deal right. that's a really big deal and i think good coaches so yeah they can identify that and that's what makes him a great leader and a good coach like just it's kind of like people need to recognize when to show gratitude when to highlight a person and when to let others know like they're doing a great job and i think look i'm it's not all about praise you need to give feedback as well constructive feedback but i think that lesson sean that took a little bit of pressure off to get more out of you he could see that and i think that's a special thing and that goes a long way mm-hmm. so and, and, and don't get me wrong either like <laughs> like i i feel like i would would pride myself um, through college and pros. Like I'm no stranger to being dog cussed or mf and and like that's sort of part of the the, the you know um, I don't know uh, what's I don't know how I, I would say it, but like that that is part of your, the maturation process as a competitive athlete. You have to be able to have. It's not about thick skin. It's about being objective and realizing that that the criticism you that you're getting and regardless of the form, regardless of how aggressive or, um, or demeaning it is, it's still intended to benefit the team. It's still intended for people to get better, to improve, to do it correctly, to not screw up again, so to speak. And, you know, like when you realize that coaches are human too, and they, they, they have this unbelievable, like you talk about stress all day long, like this coach, like I've been coaching for eight years and, and I, I don't, t- I actually, I do a pretty good job. I don't yell. Maybe I need to yell more, but I, I feel like, you know, 
there's a time and place for teaching and analyzing. And then there's a time and place for, you know, screaming and like, listen, we got to get this done now. Right. Right. And, um, I think I've been, one of the things I've been able to do over a long period of time while I played was, um, and I, I guess I wasn't really prompted with this question, but I, I'm sort of, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm inferring that part of your podcast is trying to understand how, you know, how, how do people persevere through, you know, challenges? And yeah, I was cut a lot. I mean, I remember carrying a bag of all my sneakers and stuff out of the Patriots locker room with guys looking at me and me like just tearing up and, you know, like a grown man crying as he walks out with his bag of crap and a plastic and a plastic trash bag mm-hmm. from his hometown team, knowing that like that might be the last time I ever set foot in an NFL locker room to, you know, winning a Super Bowl, losing a Super Bowl, going to a Pro Bowl, having th- the birth of my three daughters. I mean, there's life has a lot of ups and downs, as and and, and Coach Cowell would say, ebb and flow. You know, but you, it's the the people are successful because they never. I, I, and I apologize if I maybe you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I would appreciate it. Be critical, but I think it's it's the iterative process of being um, selfless humble uh, self-aware and being able and willing to adapt to stress and pressure and and constructive criticism right like you're always trying to get better and regret and whether you did a great job or whether you you know pissed on your leg you still have to analyze that mm-hmm. um, examine like your the, how you did it and is there a better way to do this and i think that's I was capable of, I was, I was, I was fortunate to have a lot of good coaches that believed in me and people in my life that helped me figure that stuff out because nobody can do it on their own, but you still, at the end, you have to be willing to do the work. Right. So I would, I mean, that was very well said. I think that it all stems back and everything goes back to ego, you know, and, you know, we talk about, um, you know, check your ego, check your ego, but. I'll tell you, man, my my egos and, and my ego is still still very uh, active and and it gets the best of me at, at times. And I think it's very hard for you to say. Like I had an issue today with a young man. Uh, when I say issue, like he was going through something and he was very upset at something. And you know, when you look at it at thirty thousand feet, it was very small. But he couldn't understand how he was going to get through it. And I was saying, look, this on the cusp of things, this is super small. And if you let something as small as this deter you, every time something like this happens, you're not going to get through the day. You have to check your ego and say, look, what was my role in this? How can I learn from it? How can I be better next time? And know that you might be having a bad day, but you're not having a bad life. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. just understand that you can work through things you you can everything you can work through and it's very very hard when you're going through it man uh, some things trigger me and set me off and i go i look back you're such an idiot why did you handle it like that <laughs> but look that's that's a part of growing up and you, and you grow up at 15 25 35 and now i'm 45 and i'm gonna get a lot of growing up to do and we're all the same way there's moody people there's people who say negative things, passive aggressive things, have crappy attitudes and you just got to do your best to improve those small small 
behaviors that are negative in our life. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it, absolutely. Um, isn't, it, isn't it amazing how like you, your own pride or ego can self-sabotage? I, I wouldn't even say self-sabotage. Like, you can sabotage like your, um, not just the work you do, but the, uh, I, I'm basically trying to interpret the experience I had this past season coaching where it was probably similar to like my rookie season as a patriot, you know, I made, as a, oh God, it actually does. So when I was a rookie, I made the, the team, I played two games. I didn't play the two games in the beginning of the season. I, uh, I was, I was inactive and then I was put on the practice squad and we were there together. It was, it was enervating. Like we're practicing so hard, trying to earn respect and credibility and trying to get on the roster to play oh, yeah. the games. And this season as a coach, I mean, I've got, I don't know. I can't even tell you how many, if I counted the number of years I've played or coached, it's over 30 and, um, easily. And, you know, after the second week of the season, the, that new head coach, um, took away my, my my you know change took care of my role as an offensive coordinator he wanted to call the plays and maybe and in, in hindsight i i i was teaching things to the high school players that they weren't yet ready to um execute and i was i was i was not i was not communicating well enough at at a pace that that um that ensured that everybody would be on the same page. Mm-hmm. They just weren't on the same page, and it was my fault. And so he took over, and it was a, it was a good. It's probably a good. I can't fault him for making a coaching decision because the, as a head coach, you have to make those tough decisions. However, the way he communicated, which I uh, did not communicate it, was really tough for me to handle because it, it speaks to character and leadership. And um, so I, I in turn did. What I, I adapted and I felt like I had to, I did what I needed to do to support him as a head coach to, because in the end it was still all about the team. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't change what I did this season or how I, how I um, managed it, but I learned a really difficult lesson, a hard lesson in like humility and being prepared, over prepared for any season, regardless of what level you're coaching, so that everybody's on the same page. Because if one guy's not on the same page, everything can fall apart and they can blame you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure um, you the, the, the parallels there like from playing to coaching, everyone thinks coaching is easy. Like people really do believe coaching is easy unless you've been a player, unless you've been a coach and unless you've dealt with 50, 60, 70, 80 athletes where you have to reel it in and get them to actually perform and produce and get them all on the same page, good luck with that. I see five people in an office who can't get along. I'm like, five people can't get along. Try 80 guys in a locker room who are all from different backgrounds, who all like different music, who all have different tastes in food, who all have different political views, their different religious views, but they all get along. How, how can that be? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of uh, powerful learning lessons. So well, should... let me ask you a question. How do you, how do your coaches, because like, I would assume that you your trainers – do you call them coaches? They're body architects. Okay. 
like what what is what do you what are some of the things that you do that to instill like a, a more collaborative culture supporting each other so uh we do we you know we, weekly meetings are kind of the foundation of it those weekly meetings are um we give them the stage we allow them to participate we have them they work on presentations they do life stories of themselves uh, we want them on front street so they can work on their public speaking skills um we want them to be they're all leaders we have people in specific leadership roles but they're all leaders and they have to understand that because you're all leaders uh, you're going to be a part of these decisions and that we need to get something done hey guys how do we do this what's the best way to get this done and they all have an active say in it they really do that doesn't mean we're going to do everything they say but it means that if there's something of value they just became a part of the process but they're always a part of the process um, you know we're what if somebody feels like they're not part of the process and that they're being um, carved out? Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. Two things. Um, uh, great question. Number one is it is it stemming from their personality or their uh, a behavioral issue that they're dealing with, and they're bringing things in from the past where it's, certain things are triggers, and they walk around with a constant feeling of feeling underappreciated. That's one thing. The other thing is how would you like to contribute? What's important to you? How would you like to be a more integral part of this? Hey, I want Mark. I want to be in a leadership role, or I want to do this. That's great, but you can't even show up on time. You see what I'm saying? Like, if you have the skills and you've demonstrated that you have all the things and done all the things and taken all the steps necessary to lead by example, be a great performer and be productive for the company and set a positive example, and we call it the anatomy way. Well, then we're going to have that conversation, and we're certainly going to try to find a home for you doing something that if we have that role why not if we don't have that role that's another conversation um, but it starts with conversation Sean having a conversation trying to figure out why why don't you feel like you're a part of this process like if we hired you to be a body architect which is what our trainers are called um, and you don't want to do that well then that's we have to have a conversation about why you chose to be in a place and you don't want to do the role that you were hired for um, now mm -hmm. that that role could certainly evolve, but that'll take time. You know, I feel to get opportunities, you make your opportunities based off your competency, production, performance, and behavior. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So, Sean, I don't want to monopolize all your time. Although I feel like I already have, <laughs> but I do want to ask you a few quick questions. Number one, uh, your favorite team that you ever played Wait, for. Wait, did, did you say quick questions or did you ask for quick answers? Uh, I said quick questions and quick um, okay. quick Fair answers. Enough. Yeah, thank you. That's a great, great, great follow-up. Best your The team that you played for that you <clears throat> loved that experience the most, would that be the Steelers? You know, I can't, honestly, I can't. I can't say one is better than the other. It's just not. It's not possible. Oh, it's because there's, there's so many people. There's so many relationships. Is that a cop out? Yeah, it's a cop out. It's a cop out. Got right. one. Got um, a gun to your head. Um, Steelers. Okay. Thank relationships you. were really. Uh, um, your favorite coach. You know, it's going to break the heart of one of my favorite 
one of my favorite friends and coaches and one of the best people I know in football, Kevin Spencer. But my favorite coach, even though I've had many amazing coaches, is uh, is John Harbaugh. Wow, that's impressive. Um, why Harbaugh? He's, you know, I think I think from, you know, his dad was a coach. His, you know, Jim Harbaugh played and coached. John was my coach, my special teams coach in Philadelphia, and he was hard on me mm-hmm. and uh, coached the hell out of me. We we were we ended up being the number one special teams unit in two thousand three, um, and he helped me learn how to play the game. And this past summer, I know, and I can't keep in touch with a lot of the, the coaches that I, I played for. BA, obviously, is, is another coach that was awesome. He was my receivers coach in Pittsburgh. Um, awesome dude. And uh, but John John Harbaugh is is sort of uniquely um, adept at like you know his interpersonal skills and the way that he treats teams and and uh people like he's he's a he's a leader he's an empathetic servant leader he sort of embodies that he understands like he he, a lot of his decisions i i feel are based on his like you know really strong principles and he never he never shies away from sort of questioning and, and analyzing like how things are done and i think he's he's sort of a sort of a true coach and and a, a true friend and um just an, and an honest guy really a stand-up guy understood understood mm-hmm. all right um mm-hmm. sean if you could give a young person a tip about following their dream and giving them advice and i know this is so broad what advice would you give them uh, in in regards to they're following they're on a journey they're following their dreams they're chasing their dream rather and they're trying to achieve something at a high level to them whatever it may be what advice mm-hmm. would you give them don't be discouraged it's easy it's easy to um, fall in the trap of uh, you know when you when you get disappointed or you miss your mark like that, that's part of the process. You have to fail. You have to fail in order to succeed because the, 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 the process of failing over and over helps you learn how to be successful. I mean, I can't say it any other way. You, you have to fail. Do not be afraid to fail. You got to go after it, do go after whatever it is that you're passionate about as much as you can. And, and as hard as you can prepare, do, do your due diligence, um, you know, I said earlier a, a quote that really should be um, should be uh, g- given credit to uh, uh, Carl Lewis, where John Lewis, John Lott was a strength coach in Arizona, and he used to train Carl Lewis. And he asked Carl Lewis one time, you know, what is it that made you so successful? And he said, I, I never wanted it to be something I didn't do that caused me to fail. And I mean that that that's sort of how you approach things. Right? You you approach it that way. That's how you start. And then when you fail and you get discouraged or if you're disappointed, like that's supposed to happen. You learn from it and you become better. And you know I'm actually dealing with this now in in my 
situation as a coach trying to understand and analyze what I can do better next year. And, and I, I recently just read a quote and said, uh, uh, disappointments, or I should say any disappointment um, is an assignment for your next appointment. And meaning, right? Like it's like, if you're disappointed or something didn't work or go the way you wanted, that's your homework. Go figure it out. Do it better because you're going to get another chance and you, you need to be ready for that. Oh, I love that. That's a great, great, great quote, great insight and great perspective. Thank you so much, Sean, man. I, I can't thank you enough for your time. Um, we're going to do another podcast where we're going to talk about every single thing that we went through off the field. And that will have to be uh, in, in, <laughs> in. No, we're not. <laughs> no. And I think we're going to have what we're going to do is we'll, we'll say. Is Joe Douglas going to come on? Yeah, uh, Joe Douglas is not allowed to open the vault anymore because. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Joe Douglas. Wow. I wasn't even thinking about Delaware, but that can be a whole nother podcast. Um, yeah. So, but I will say. We're going to start paying people off. Yeah. Gary gonna, Taylor and. Oh, man. We can bring Elio and Bernoni, Dave Cooney. <laughs> it would hey, be. How great. You know what, though? Uh, I really appreciate you, you you asking me to come on. It was nice to reminisce and talk a little bit. And, um, you know, um, I, I, I love I love what you're doing. I think that I'm really I read some of the testimonials on your Web page about the Magnum method. And honestly, uh I'm not trying to plug you, but now it seems like I am plugging you. So now I'm going to have to, which is, you know, I can't imagine I've, I've been around and I've played with a lot of great athletes I've played. And I know a lot of, you know, really, to be honest, like, you know, hall of fame coaches and people and individuals. And I've, I have yet to find anyone, not one single person that I can sit here with a straight face. And I know you can't see my face, but to be completely honest, that I've ever seen work harder than Mark Megna. And yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, you invest in people. You invested in me when I went back to NFL Europe, you know, and I was, you know, that was my last opportunity, that chance to make it. And you trained me to get ready to go back to NFL Europe. And I had the, I had the, the best season of my life in NFL Europe that third time. And I made it, and I ended up, tr I ended up playing in 33 straight games, games thanks to Mark Magna. Well, I don't so know. let's, I mean, we can put a lot of things in perspective, but um, if I can do anything, I just want to say thanks, Mark. Well, Sean, yeah, thank you for saying that, but Sean Morey is a uh, extraordinary person. No, no, we can also... we can leave. Me, I can have the last no, word. No, no, no. He's an extraordinary <laughs> worker in. I could tell you stories for days, but this guy who is a great athlete, but, you know, when he's standing next to Larry Fitzgerald, who's 6'5", 230 pounds and flies and a legendary receiver, may not look like that, but when you talk about overachiever, there is he his picture's in the dictionary right next to overachiever, showing your blessing as a friend and uh, to the athletes that you work with now. Um, please give my best to carrying the kids and love you brother thank you for doing this all right Same here, buddy. i love you all right talk to yeah. you soon okay all right, take care bye-bye